The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. One of the ways I think about meditation is um, making space for our experience to be the way it is. I think in so much of our um, usual life, we are very actively controlling and shaping experience and um, making efforts to change uh, what we don't want into what we want. And there's some way that in meditation practice we can discover that um, these these efforts are um, useful and helpful in, in, in many ways, but um, there are aspects to the mind, to the heart, and maybe to our lives that we can't control, that are out of our control. And meditation practice can help us to make sense of this element of experience, this dimension of maybe of human life that is not controllable, you know, that's, that's not within our realm of um, agency. And, um, and I think each of us is faced with this dilemma <laughs> And then how, how, do we, how do we respond to that? How, um, so often what I say is that in meditation practice, we are um, experiencing an unedited version of ourselves. You know, if, if usually we are somehow editing experience and, and sort of, uh, you know, fixing the mistakes and crossing this out and putting, you know, and it's good and kind of make something nice and presentable. And, but there's, there can be a tremendous amount of freedom that comes in meditation from allowing ourselves to have an uncensored, unedited experience just to see where does the mind go? What are the thoughts that arise? What's happening in the body? And to bring uh, an attentiveness, a care to um, the various sensations um, in, the, in the body, the various images and, and thoughts and feelings that pass through the heart, pass through the mind. Um, and one of the things we can sometimes discover is that um, various emotions arise in meditation. And um, it can be very valuable to learn to, in some way, welcome emotion, tune in to what emotions may be present, to welcome emotions, and to really um, meet them with respect, with care, with, with kindness. Um, first of all, because they're there. And so we either, you know, either notice them or we don't, but they're there. And um, secondly, one of the principles of Dharma practice is that um, our experience, our perception is colored is influenced by whatever emotions 
are present. Um, and, you know, I think we all know this in, in, the, in the basic sense of, you know, if, if I'm feeling rushed and stressed and tired and irritated, um, you know, a person can, can, you know, say something to me and um, it will be perceived one way. There can be a reaction. There can be a, you know, if, a, if the feeling in the mood, in, in the mind, in the heart is open, is calm, is relaxed, that same, you know, whatever, comment or piece of bad news or something may land in a totally different way. You know, so our emotions um, have a big impact on how we experience our life. Um, but it turns out that most of us don't have so much, um, I'll speak for myself, don't have so much skill in really attuning to and identifying what, are, what is the emotion, what are the emotions that are here right now? Um, I was thinking about when I first um, began meditation practice, and it was in the context of having a physical um, illness when I was uh, in college. And I learned to do, you know, kind of body scan meditation and um, mindful yoga and that kind of thing through John Kabat-Zinn, one of, you know, his early books. It was tremendously helpful. And so for a couple of hours each day, I would follow along on these, you know, cassettes, if you remember cassettes. And, <laughs> and it was like learning to have a different experience of myself, of this kind of moment-to-moment awareness of sensations, you know, in stretching or in just kind of scanning through the body. And if you, if you haven't done this practice, it's very, very wonderful because if if you're caught in thoughts or you're caught in emotions that you're likely not aware of this practice is a we learn a way of just immersing into the moment-to-moment experience of body of breath and um, in doing that it's almost like there's no space for this thinking, this worrying, these fears, this whatever, to get in, because we're just attending to the sensation of lifting, of stretching, of of scanning, uh, feeling the body different ways. So it's wonderful practice, and this is kind of our fo- foundational practice of mindfulness of breath and body. Um, but what I didn't really learn in that practice, or what I didn't really pick up, was that there were whole big areas of my emotional life that um, could be attended to in the same way, could be met with mindfulness, could be noticed. You know, it never occurred to me to notice what emotion might be present right now, you know. And being being young and a student and on my own for the first time and being sick, I'm sure there were a lot of emotions that were present, but you know, it it didn't. That wasn't part of you know my conception of 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 what was possible or what was practice or something. And it was only um, years later that I realized that there was a huge aspect of of experience of my own experience that was sort of outside of the spotlight. You know, if you have a spotlight on something, that's illuminated, but then everything else is dark. And it turns out that what was not being illuminated, what was dark, was pretty important, you know? And um, so it was when I was on um, a longer retreat, um, a couple of years into my practice, at um, Tassajara, some of you might might know Tassajara, the Zen, um, wonderful Zen mountain center near Big Sur. And I had the, f- the 
sort of insight or the, the light bulb moment that, wait a second, there's a lot of fear present right now. And then in noticing just kind of why, why would I be afraid or why is there fear here? And kind of sensing into the, the felt body experience of that emotion, that fear, began to have this sense of that, wow, maybe there's kind of this low level fear that has been present um, from, that maybe it's always, seems like it's always here, or maybe it's been present for so much of my experience. And I, and I wasn't aware of it. I didn't notice it. And it was like, there was a sort of a great feeling in noticing that because it's sort of like if you sort of have an inkling that something's there or something's a little bit off or something, but you don't know what it is. And then to find say, aha, that's what it is. And it was like, oh, great. I can, now I have some, um, so sort of like there's a handle on it. I could, I could learn how to meet it and to understand it, breathe with it, and maybe um, let it go and be free from it or learn to harmonize with it. Um, and this, this realization that if, if an emotion like fear or a mind state like fear is present and I'm not aware of it, then it's much more likely that I'm going to um, act out of it in unconscious ways. It's like, if I, if I don't bring it into awareness, um, it's going to be acting in, you know, in the background and fueling certain kinds of thoughts, fueling certain kinds of decisions. Um, but when I notice it, when I say, okay, fear is present and invited in without judgment, without um, thinking that it shouldn't be here or should be some different way, just to welcome it and to, okay, what, where, you know, where is it manifesting in this energetic being? Where is it manifesting physically? Um, What kind of mood is this fear creating? And just noticing, just making space for um, this emotion to be there, then it's much less likely that um, I'll be acting unconsciously out of it, and um, or give it, uh, in any in any set case, it gives more choice. You know, maybe I do act out of it, or maybe I do. Um, um, allow it to uh, inform, you know, actions. But at least there's some there's some awareness, there's some consciousness to it. So, you know, um, so over time in 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 my own practice, I've come to have a lot of respect for the power and the beauty and almost the sacredness of our emotional life. That this is a very important aspect of, of, of being human. And, um, and what is it to, to care for it, to, to welcome emotions, to learn how to um, recognize them, um, to name them, you know, this is, this is really a skill. If it's like, you know, how, how, you know, how precise can I be with, in, in, in naming the emotion that may be present right now, rather than just saying, this is, um, uh, you know, there's anger present. What's the difference between irritation and frustration, and annoyance, and um, you know, uh, impatience, 
And, you know, these have a different quality. And it may not matter so much to get the exact word right, but in the process of doing that, it, it, um, it, it sort of opens the door for a certain kind of investigation to look at this feeling of stress, of frustration, you know, whatever might be there, and to, and to investigate, to, to examine it, to, to um, um, meet it with a certain kind of, uh, it's almost like a clinical awareness. If we can, if we can, what is this? What's happening right now? Then we're less likely to identify with that emotion and say, well, that's really me. That's mine. I own it. And so there's a little bit of an impersonal um, distance that we can get. Um, and from the, from the point of view of the Dharma, whatever emotion is present, whatever emotion is passing through, is not me, is not mine. It's just, you know, it's, 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 it's as impermanent as the sounds of the cars. It's as impermanent as the sensations of the body passing through. But for emotions, you know, it's, it's easy to say, okay, the sound of the truck is not me. Um, even maybe this sensation that of coolness, cold air in the room is not me, or maybe even this sensation of, um, that I associate with the knee or the back or something, okay, that's not me. But this emotion that's connected to this memory and these thoughts, that's really me. That's part of my biography. It's part of my history or it's part of my my thoughts about the future, my fears, my hopes. Um, you know, so we identify with emotions so easily, you know, as part of our, um, as, you know, as, as part of who we really are. And so to sort of check that out, what, what are the emotions that feel like, oh, that's really me? You know, and for many of us, it's not so much the, you know, we can let go of the positive emotions and the sense of joy and calm, and, but, but shame, guilt, fear, that's me. That's really me. And so to check that out, you know, what, is there some way that I'm sort of um, hooking onto emotions or emotion, certain emotion has a hook for me? And it, um, and so emotions have this sort of, there's something compelling about them. They seduce us. They have a certain kind of, can have a certain kind of power over us. And we believe them, you know. Uh, we believe the various thoughts and um, uh, stories that are connected to emotions. So to just take a look at that. Um, Some of you might have heard this acronym called RAIN. You know, it's, it's, it's often a, um, it's a mnemonic that is one, one, um, approach in Vipassana and insight meditation for working with emotions. And it stands for recognize, accept, investigate, and name. Um, It's a nice word to remember. I I would respectfully offer that maybe a more helpful order would be Let's see, (laughs) recognize, you know, to first just recognize a strong emotion is present. And um, this is a very useful approach um, when we need it. 
you know, not necessarily to go looking for some strong emotion, but there will be times when we sit um, that, you know, wow, there's a lot of fear coming up. There's a lot of um, uh, sadness present. Or maybe there's just a lot of joy and a lot of excitement and, and happiness. But to just recognize, okay, there's a strong emotion here. Um, and then um, uh, to, to accept, you know, okay, this, is, this, this emotion is present. Um, rather than thinking it shouldn't be there or there's something wrong or there's some mistake to really as much as possible cultivate um, a, a, fi- a quality of, of welcoming of openness um, and then you know, so as as this acronym ac- acronym goes, it's investigate. Um, wh- where is this emotion present? Um, how is it being expressed right now? How is it being manifest? What are the thoughts uh, connected to this emotion? What's the energetic quality? Where, and this is very very useful. Is it possible to drop out of the story of the emotion and find it in the body somewhere? And the benefit of doing this is that often with, with strong emotions, they're fed by a certain kind of thinking. You know, if there's a feeling of regret or anger or something, there's probably a story connected to that. They can go over the story again and again and again, or this conversation. And to actually um, drop into the body, sort of short circuits that loop of repetitive thinking. Find it in the body. Um, What are the sensations in the body that are connected to this feeling, this emotion? Breathe with it, be with it, meet it with... um, some care, some kindness. And then to, then to name, you know, is it possible to put a word onto this experience or this emotion? And in doing that, in naming something, we get a little bit of distance from it. It's like, it's not just me, 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 my problems, my experience. It's, oh, this is, um, this is grief. This is sadness. This is fear okay, we have a name for it. It's, it's not so unique and personal. Of course, there are details and aspects that are unique, but there are also, there's an aspect that is so universal that every human being has experienced these kinds of emotions. And um, how, how I relate to these emotions will determine whether uh, they bring more suffering and more pain or whether they bring freedom, whether there's a way to, even in the midst of my emotional life, can I be free? Can I be happy? Can I um, make peace with these emotions? Is there some way that the mind can be safe for these emotions to be there. Um, So it takes a certain kind of softness. It takes a certain kind of willingness to open to the experience that we're having. And for some emotions, they only, maybe they only appear when there's a certain degree of, of quiet. And, you know, we've, the kind of doing mind has relaxed enough that something more tender, something more subtle can, 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 um, can, can arise, 
you know, it's kind of, one of the images I have is sort of like the shy puppy that maybe hasn't been treated so well, or maybe it's a, you know, a rescue dog. And it takes a lot of trust, a lot of stillness and silence and trust for that uh, puppy to be willing to come over to us and eat, you know, eat from our hand and trust that we're not going to, we're not going to be violent. We're not going to attack. We're not going to, you know, they're just meeting, meeting with an open hand. And so that's in some way an image for, for meditation to meet experience with an open hand and um, let go of all the ways that we, um, maybe violence is a strong word, but I think we can be violent with ourselves. We can be um, so critical and so forceful that, um, that, that maybe these emotions, there's no chance for, for, these, for these feelings to be listened to. You know, it takes a lot of trust. Um, so, um, maybe I'll end with this poem. Yes, yeah, sure. Then you, yeah. Yeah, so the red. <laughs> so um, the question is, would it be more, more appropriate to investigate before we accept? You know, it's. I was going there a little bit with what's the what's the order of you know of of these and what I think it's um, for for each of us to sort of sense into what what makes sense. Um, so as the acronym goes, recognize, accept, investigate, name. Um, totally fine to investigate first. Totally fine to, um, I mean, maybe investigation is what comes first. And then through our investigation, through no, what's going on right now? You know, investigation, I always think of it's like the question, what is it? What is this? We invest from our investigation, maybe then we start to recognize, oh, there's an emotion here. Um, And maybe from recognizing this emotion, a name, a label, or something arises, oh, okay, I can identify this, this is fear. And then in going through this process, we we come to acceptance, we come to, you know, so I mean, so there's different ways of, you know, it can unfold in so many different ways, but, but hopefully it has, you know, each of these elements somewhere in there that to figure out what's going on, take a closer look, investigate, um, begin to, to um, name it, and 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 accept it and welcome it that it's happening. So so yeah, if that if that makes more sense to you, that's totally that's that's really great. Um, um, what I think is is not so helpful, and I've noticed this in my own experience, is just to very quickly try to short circuit something and go to naming it and accepting it. And hoping it goes away, <laughs> you know, and like, okay, fear, 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 you know, um, and <coughs> one one of the good one of the good litmus tests for ex- acceptance that um, I've I learned from one of my teachers is that um, he he was puzzled because he was with with some a strong emotion, I think it was fear, and um, you know naming it, <laughs> naming it, watching the sensations, accepting, accepting, 
And um, at some point he realized that his, um, the way he was meeting it was sort of like as a strategy to get it to go away as soon as possible. And so he asked himself this question, if this fear is here for the rest of my life, is this okay? You know, just ask that question. And then from deep in his being, the answer arose, no! (laughs) You know, and in that moment, he realized that there wasn't a sense of genuine acceptance present. There was this kind of acceptance that was a strategy to get it to quickly go away. And so what would it look like to, 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 so, um, to be so at ease, at peace with whatever, you know, however this emotion is, that it's okay if it's, if it's here for forever. You know, and most of us, if we ask that question, we may not be there, you know, but it sort of, it opens the door to sort of see what does, what does a full and genuine acceptance look like? And what is, what is acceptance as a sort of, um, you know, strategy for, for, for getting what I want? And so, okay, can I get a little bit closer to this, um, genuine acceptance. So that's, you know, um, uh, you know, help. For, I've, that's always been helpful for me to, to kind of just check out, um, you know, what, what, what would it be like to really be okay with this, with this feeling? Um, Yeah, yeah, so um, the example being if you have cancer and um, yeah, and it's very interesting that um, sometimes it's like the very resistance to what we don't want keeps something locked in and keeps something negative, you know, locked in that when there can be a full acceptance of something, even if it's something that's um, terrible or something that's painful, then um, an incredible lightness of being can come. You know, when, I mean, I think that's one of the stages of, um, of grief, you know, is acceptance. It's the final stage, I think. But I have known uh, people who in having um, a sort of terminal diagnosis. And when they got to this place of acceptance, they became so happy. It was like, you know, the happiest, you know, in saying, I have never felt more happy and more alive than I do right now. And even if their time wasn't so long after that, they were just these radiant beings, you know, and um, it was it was quite a quite a lesson for me that there is something in that letting go and in f- so fully embracing how things are that they became so happy so free and um, and maybe in a way that time sort of lost its power. You know, they were almost in this timeless dimension and didn't live for so, so much longer after that. But how they were, the quality of their life, their being, it was quite a, um, it, was, it, was, it was a powerful teaching for me in the, the power of acceptance and the power of um, when there's no resistance, when there's nothing to fear anymore. You know, all that energy that was going into fear, into resistance, into trying to sort of fight, they were freed from that. And um, 
I don't know if that if that's is appropriate in every circumstance. If that's true, you know, um, if that's the right thing for for every you know situation. But for that particular person, it seemed to unlock something just magical, um, and. Uh, so there's going to be tremendous power, you know, in each of these, each of these pieces of recognizing. Um, you know, if we don't recognize what's happening, we are at its mercy. You know, it's more likely than not, it's going to, it's going to control us. Especially strong emotions will control us in ways we're completely unaware of, but we act out of it. Um, so tremendous power in just recognizing what's happening, in accepting, in developing a kind of curiosity, an interest of investigation. So, so yeah, so thank you. Um, maybe I'll read this and then there's be more time for, for questions. And um, This is from William Stafford, who's the same poet that um, I, I quoted last week. And I think he has this wonderful, I think through his poems, he evokes this kind of quality of um, openness, of investigation, of willingness to make space for, for, for things, make space for ourselves. And what I think goes along with that, a willingness to make mistakes, you know, and what is a mistake anyway, you know? Um, so this is called You and Art. Your exact errors make a music that nobody hears. Your straying feet find the great dance walking alone. And you live on a world where stumbling always leads you home. Year after year fits over your face. When there was youth, your talent was youth. Later, you find your way by touch where moss redeems the stone. And you discover where music begins before it makes any sound. Far in the mountains where canyons go, still as the always falling ever new flakes of snow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's anything to, that I take away from you know, this, this exploration of uh, emotions is that um, as much as possible to, uh, you know, like, you know, like he's saying, your exact errors make a music. Um, emotions aren't a mistake. Uh, there's no correct emotion or incorrect emotion. And to to really make the space for allowing, you know, make the safety for allowing whatever emotions are present to, to express themselves and to trust that there's tremendous value in bringing um, or more and more of our emotional being into awareness, into mindfulness. And, um, and I love this image of tracing tracing the music back you know tracing the the movement the emotion the movements of mind movements of heart if we patiently follow them and trace them back maybe we come to this place of stillness you know and this place of peacefulness that is that's maybe that's always been there and that's not in conflict with with you know um, the the ups and downs and the uh, you know the the various 
melodies of our emotional life that, you know, um, but, uh, you know, the more, the more we can meet it, meet, meet this aspect with, with kindness, with softness, um, it'd be tremendous, tremendous benefit from this. So, so thank you very much. And any, any more questions, comments? I was wondering if um, you could explore the issue of antidotes a minute a bit because um, the rain uh, process of recognize, investigate, accept it, name it, it's not me. it doesn't include a any aspect of overcoming it except by accepting it, recognizing this is part of life, this is maybe my um, lot, or this is the way things are in the moment or future moments, um, as opposed to strategies that are that may antidote this afflictive emotion. So say there's an emotion of fear, anxiety, which is pushing something away. If you um, have an antidote to that, like loving kindness, for example, has been suggested to me in various contexts as a solution to um, to anxiety, a way to actually transform anxiety. Or say there's a, someone, some doctor gives you a diagnosis from their perspective that you have cancer, which is terminal, and there's nothing we can do, and so we can apply palliative efforts or whatever. And then, um, of course, there are many uh, case examples of people who have lived for many, many years after that with various kinds of strategies. Um, and in studies, one strategy that seems to work really well is denial. So um, people who, they've done studies, and people who have kind of an accepting or hopeless attitude, well, this is the way things are, tend to do worse, have worse outcomes than people who say, no, that's not true. I don't, that's what you think, but I don't think that's happening. Mm -hmm. And um, so these are, to me, different kinds of reactions or antidotes that are more active than this process of just accepting things the way they are. So it seems like a different kinds of strategies that uh, maybe you have some yeah, yeah, ideas no, th- about that. Yeah, thank you. It's a great, it's a great question and comment. And um, what I would say to that um, is, I, mean, I, I guess the way I think about it is that almost in a way mindfulness itself is the best antidote. You know, if... Um, not, not that mindfulness can sort of dissolve any emotion or solve any emotion or, or something like that. But the more we're aware of, you know, mindfulness is like we, we, we get the terrain. We sort of know, okay, this is what's going on right now. And um, what it does is it, then it gives us maybe some choice where we might not have felt choice before. If I'm just, you know, really stressed and really pissed off and really, or in a lot of fear or just had a really um, unpleasant, disrespectful exchange with a doctor who gave bad news and I'm just, you know, um, and then I get in my car and start <laughs> you know, going somewhere, and, um, it would be tremendously helpful to, to take a moment and check in and 
bring some mindfulness to, you know, just what's going on and the emotions that are present. And then that, that gives some choice. And it may be that um, the choice is to apply a wise and skillful antidote. You know, so, so, maybe, so if there's a lot of anxiety, let's say I'm going to give a talk somewhere or work or something, and there's a lot of anxiety that's coming up and I'm about to, and I say, well, wait a second, you know, um, okay, check in. Okay, there's, there's this mindfulness, right? Okay, there's, there's fear, there's anxiety present. So wait a second. It feels like I'm about to go into this really life-threatening, dangerous situation. Is that true? You know, is that really what's happening here? Well, no. It's just, I'm just going to give a presentation. I've done this, you know, a hundred times before. A hundred times, it's always been okay. I'm familiar with this anxiety. Um, what's the skillful, you know, wise response here? The, the acceptance piece is accepting that it's here. But as you say, there may be a place for an antidote. It may be like, it may be loving kindness. It may be remembering my intention. Why am I doing this? What is this about? I, you know, um, oh yeah, this is to help people and give them information that they really need. Or this is, you know, um, uh, you know, these are all people who, uh, like me and want me to succeed. And, you know, so, so whatever it is, and cultivating some feelings of love or good, goodwill or whatever, and then you kind of feel like the system sort of calming down. And um, so I think, that, you know, there are many times that an antidote can be helpful. I think the thing to be careful of with antidotes is that... Um, to rush into an antidote before I fully feel what's going on. You know, it's like, because it, it, it can be used as a sort of, you know, pss, I'm going to spray this, <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, there's a pest here, which is <laughs> my fear, my anger, my uncomfortableness, and I'm going to just spray it with, loving kindness, with concentration, with, you know, any of these things and just eradicate this unpleasant emotion. And then, you know, it's like, like I often say, the problem is not that it doesn't work, but it, it almost works, <laughs> you know? So we get to a place and that's the, the name for that um, in meditative circles, or one of the names for that is this bypass, you know, the spiritual bypass just in the way that like a, a, a surgical bypass bypasses the blockage with some new, you know, just pull some veins out of the leg or whatever. And, you know, and it's, it's amazing, right? It's great. We can do bypass. You know, what is it to emotionally bypass? Is like to, to say, well, there's this blockage here. There's this unpleasant, uncomfortable feeling. And I'm going to just go around it with you know, concentration or, or, or loving kindness or, um, you know, and, um, sometimes that will be skillful and then sometimes that will actually, um, I mean the classic, the classic cautionary tale is that it, it can be so effective that it produces teachers who, (laughs) you know, have, um, tremendous meditative skill in certain areas, but also have tremendous blind spots and tremendous areas where there's not, um, that the light of awareness hasn't fully shined and metabolized that. So, so when, you know, I don't know if it's always the case, but when teachers, um, you know, act out and there's a kind of misconduct. I mean, you know, one ex- there's one Tibetan teacher who has like been called out for not only sexual, but also just like very violent acts towards his close students. It's like, how is this possible? This person who has tremendous um, wisdom in certain area, but 
there's some aspect of their emotional life maybe that has not been included and it's not been fully processed and metabolized and met with mindfulness. So um, that's why I'm a little bit cautious of, I mean, I think antidotes are wonderful and very powerful. You know, so it's antidote is like bringing the opposite in or bringing some skillful way of, of working with it. And I think for sure there's a place for that. But even before that, there's something about really um, meeting it as it is and, and, and that willingness to, to meet it as it is. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, so that's one perspective, you know, and different people fall different places on that. And so, but thank you, it was great. Wait, I, I just want to give give her a chance, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. I think it's on. Yeah. Boy, the antidote question is absolutely fascinating. I really love that you ask this question. So I'm just gonna throw my two cents, just because I want to partake in the discussion. So, mm. my take on it is that, like. In your example, which was absolutely fabulous, like what if doctor gives cancer uh, diagnosis and there are studies that absolutely show that people who are in denial do better, like they live for longer. But I think when we talk about uh, acceptance, we talk about accepting our own experience, not that somebody else says you, because if like a doctor in position of, of authority has an opinion, it's still an opinion, like it might be right, might be wrong, whatever. So that's totally my take. And uh, I think the reason why I'm so agitated about this antidote things because it has been incredibly helpful to me personally. I would for a long time try just to accept things and I would be wallowing in my own things, but then I sort of separated for me in terms of timeline, it's acceptance of what's happening, but then it doesn't preclude what you do in the future. So, like, acceptance of your experience in this particular moment and then applying the antidote. And I'm absolutely pumped about the fact that I, I always was doing the antidote of uh, aversion and loving kindness, but I would still do stupid things that I would, and I'm very much prone mm-hmm. to do in health regard. And then I learned it about, and I heard it many, many times, but it never actually sink into my mind, the antidote about wanting something of greed and impermanence. That stuff works. <laughs> it's really, really awesome. So sorry for my agitated uh, rumble. I just, I just really like this topic. Yeah, great, great. No, th- yeah, thank you. And I, I, I like that too. Um, you know, there's this. Um, I, I have known people. You know, uh, a friend who is very interested in mind-body healing, and. She was given a, a, a diagnosis that was, you know, um, challenging, and and she said, "No, thank you." You know, she said, um, uh, or "No, no." She she actually she had she had the I think it was a kind of um, wrist surgery or something that she she had the surgery, it was a success, and then she they had the follow up appointment, and the doctor said. Okay, it was a success, but listen, you should know that it's never going to be the same as your other wrist. It's never going to fully heal strongly. It's going to hurt when it rains. And she's just looking at him like, are you crazy? And she said, no, thank you. No, not me. <laughs> not me. And she, she felt that um, she, she was not, she was, she was, She's, so in her philosophy, accept the diagnosis, but not the prognosis. So she said, that's right. He, 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 I diagnosed it. He did what he could. But why should I believe what he, his opinion of what he thinks is going to, you know, it's my body, my mind. And she said, whatever my, you know, and, and so, she, so she had this attitude. And then she did, found a different doctor <laughs> who said, no. Yeah, you should t- fully heal and did the physical therapy. And, you know, it's one example. But what I loved is that she didn't fully just take on what the other person said. She, she didn't say, I'm just, I'm never going to, you, know, you know, she did physical therapy. She did what she th- thought would be helpful. 
but she reserved the right to have her own opinions about it. And um, so, yeah, you know, maybe there's some combination of that that um, could, in healing, but anyway, yeah, thank you. Um, So I too also really appreciate um, what you said about spiritual blind spots and that teachers who've advanced that sometimes you hear about just um, ways that they've really faltered and ended up hurting people. Um, it's, it's just a huge lesson for me because I've, I always have this kind of skepticism when someone's a little too charismatic or too kind of too spiritually perfect. And um, so it's just, it's interesting to hear that. And someone else told me in, in a different tradition just a few weeks ago, the, the medicine wheel and, and the West traditionally is the dark spot in, in that tradition, like the things that are difficult to face. And, um, you know, and she was saying how some people overlook that. They just want to go right to um, the place of spiritual awareness and beauty and, um, and that we need to pass through that. We need to be aware of our... So um, the one thing is it makes me want to... Um, start talking to a teacher more to find my own blind spots, uh-huh. which I have some ideas, but um, that would be long to go into here. Um, my original question I wanted to ask was when you mentioned um, noticing your emotions and also the nuances like how irritation, frustration, anxiety, whatever, how they all have a little different flavor or nuance. So when I notice them, <laughs> whatever, all these emotions. And I, I try to do that, right? I remember what you and countless other teachers say, so I'm, I'm trying to notice, be aware. But what happens is my brain kind of gets involved with um, thinking what to label this, what's different, so I'm not quite sure how to do it and just be aware without that brain activity coming in a lot. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, thank you for... For, for all of that. And um, just a comment of what you said earlier, I think it's very hard for us to see our own blind spots, you know, and that's where there's tremendous value in community, in being with others who are mirrors for us, in talking to a teacher or a spiritual friend or something, if that seems appropriate at the time, because you know, okay, oh, I want to check this out with you, or this happened, and you know, or this, or um, because it's the mind is so persuasive and is so um, we can really rationalize anything, justify anything. We have our habits, we have our conditioning. So, you know, even for teachers, that's I think a lot of teachers run into problems because they don't have peers. You know, and they're kind of isolated, and they're you know kind of there's all this projection to one focal point, and so one of the things not that our scene is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we do a lot of team teaching, especially on retreats, mm-hmm. and it's very it's I think it's very healthy, you know, to have that kind of you know it's not a guru model, mm-hmm. and you know you know that you're if you're giving a talk and the other teachers are sitting there listening to it, you kind of say something, mm. <laughs> you'll probably hear about it that night. Um, you know, so it sort of gives this check of um, things. So so that and and then about yeah about this noting or labeling or naming. Um, the way I think about it is it, to allow it to be a natural outcome from um, a, a sort of open, nonverbal investigation. So if there's a way of sort of investigation is sort of like looking close, more closely, getting closer to what's happening, um, attending to the sensations, the different thoughts, feelings. And then there may arise of, oh, okay, this is this is anxiety, or this is fear, or this is... But if it feels like we're getting too much caught in the weeds or too much into a cognitive thing, totally fine to just let it go and suddenly come back to the, the feeling of it in the body, you know, return to the investigation. Because at the end of the day, it's not that important to get, you know, whatever, the precise word. It's more about that 
helps us to just unhook a little. If we can put a name to it, then we're not, maybe we're not so um, identified and hooked in. And um, so, but anyway, it's a great, it's a great question. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you. So, anyone, maybe one, one last. So I love the, um, the rain idea. Um, I feel like in this conversation, we've used the word acceptance to be like acceptance of a diagnosis to me is a different thing than acceptance of the emotion around the diagnosis. So I'll Mm. use fear and I, because we're talking about fear, there's so many other emotions one could do. And I'd like if you could help clarify a little bit. Where I see if you get a diagnosis, let's say it's something extreme, um, I would hope that you would do your due diligence for yourself on the appropriate approach to getting second opinions, figuring out what you believe, what you don't believe. There's so much around that void of emotion. (laughs) Then there's the whole emotional side, which here there's so much fear and so much forward thinking that goes on around a health issue, whether it's yours or someone you care about or others. Um, So I think when you talked about RAIN, you specifically talked about using it for emotions. And there I feel like this idea gives perspective of not making your emotion consume you in a situation that's extreme, like a health situation. Um, So if you could talk a little about the separation of accepting the world as it is, as we do in mindfulness, sometimes it's not just emotions, it's stuff. And sometimes it's good stuff, but a lot of times it's crappy stuff. Um, But specifically on RAIN, how we, um, the kind of perspective it might give, and that it feels to me the way you described it more your emotional an emotional exercise versus or practice versus a um, fact based practice yeah yeah no thank you I, I appreciate that and I think that's that you know when I told the story of when I was sick and was doing this kind of mindfulness practice but had no idea that I could also include emotions and that there was a value in doing that. And that, I mean, I think that's really where, I mean, we tend to look through emotions into the world. So it's like this filter, right? It's this, it colors experience. And there's tremendous value, tremendous power to um, cultivating the ability to turn and look directly at the emotion itself. And that, like you said, so if we have a difficult conversation or bad news or something, um, you know, acceptance may come in, in in the sense of if we've done our due diligence and there's, you know, okay, yeah, you have a broken bone or you have this or you have that. You know, I could... I could just be like, no, I don't, you know, and, you know, just whatever. And maybe there's wisdom in, in saying, okay, this is, seems to be what's going on here. And now I have some choices around what to do with that and, or to do due diligence about figuring out if this is something to be accepted, if this is really true, if this is, but regardless of that, there's this whole sphere of emotions that have been um, very likely sparked and triggered by this and are very likely present and very strong. And so to take some time and really meet that with care and with respect and to say, what's going on here? Okay, what? A, wow, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, you know, whatever. And, um, and, and yeah, and that's really where this RAIN approach um, is relevant. And and to be able to just acknowledge it and name it, um, it doesn't like make it go away necessarily. It doesn't, but it sort of gives us some um, healthy, way, maybe healthy way of relating to it. And then we can sort of say, or 
or acknowledge, I have too much anger towards this doctor. To, I don't think there can be a healthy healing relationship here because I'm realizing that my, these emotions are so strong and then it can inform some decisions that we make. Or there's so much fear, I don't want to make a decision out of this right now. I want to take some time and just really be with this and process it and talk to someone. I can process it on the level of emotion. So, um, yeah. Does that does that speak to? Yeah, just I think the Yeah. And you can kind of coexist with different emotional states. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the emotion is there, whether we accept, it, <laughs> we accept that it's there or not. So there's tremendous, when we can, when we can bring acceptance into it, we're, we're aligning ourselves with what's true. And there's a tremendous power in that, even if it's not the truth that we would choose or the truth that we want, you know, and often it isn't. But when we're not f- resisting, um, it frees up a lot of, a lot of energy. So, um, yeah, thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much. A really nice discussion and um, be well. Thank you. <laughs>